Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, episode 45, Digital Space. I'm Gary Jordan, and I'll be your host today. So on this podcast, we bring in the experts, NASA scientists, engineers, astronauts, sometimes our leaders. We bring them right here on the show to tell you about all the cool stuff that's going on right here at NASA. So today we're talking about data and information in space and here at the Johnson Space Center with Annette Moore. She's the director of our Information Resources Directorate and the Chief Information Officer here in Houston. And we had a great discussion about some of the tech we use for human spaceflight operations, including space station imagery, and how it's changed over time, and then how the Johnson Space Center is handling the multiple petabytes of data. It's actually unbelievable how much data we have. Uh, the multiple petabytes of data and information that we use all the time in our everyday lives. So with no further delay, let's go light speed and jump right ahead to our talk with Miss Annette Moore. Enjoy. T minus five seconds and counting. Mark. Launch commit light circuit the red. There she goes. Houston, we have a podcast. All right, Annette, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today to talk about this this digital space. Well, I'm pretty excited about this, and I'm glad I had the opportunity to sit down and talk with you. Absolutely, and be, it's I'm I'm, very, I'm particularly excited about it because we're talking about data mm -hmm. um, that not only we deal with every day, but as we were we were just chatting just a little bit before this, um, th there's a whole history of data, and mm -hmm. we have. You know, we have records of all of the history of our flights that we have to maintain to a certain level. And, and that we are required to maintain in a way that is going to, I guess, we're going to pass forth and make sure that we can retain for years to come. Absolutely. There's yeah. a lot of stuff here. Yeah. And we're talking about data from from some of the legacy uh programs, too, right? We're you talking bet. about Apollo, Apollo, Gemini. Apollo, Gemini, you bet. Yes, wow. yes. So uh, why don't we why don't we start with that? Why don't we start with some of the data that we're that we're dealing with? Uh, mm -hmm. Kind of continuing from the conversation mm -hmm. we, were, we were talking mm -hmm. about earlier. Mm -hmm. What is some of the historical data that we have, and how are we keeping it? So we have data that dates all the way back to the Apollo program, and that data is kept in various forms of media. So originally, you might imagine when we first started getting that data, that data was on paper, it was on tape, and I mean the old-fashioned reel-to-reel tape. Um, <laughs> as, as we've moved more into the digital age, we are converting that to digital, of course. NARA has, which is the National Archives, um, they have certain requirements for how they will receive data, how long data has to be retained at the federal agency. So we have retention schedules. And mm -hmm. so we follow those retention schedules for when a program ends and how long we actually keep that data at the center. And then it transfers over to NAR. But again, as I said, NAR has some stringent requirements on how they will or will not accept that data. So we are certainly abiding by those requirements from NARA, the retention schedule and the media in which we store that data and send that data to NAR. Um, but it is a plethora of history, um, a plethora of data and information, and it tells an incredible story of NASA and the space program. Yeah, a lot of the things that you see on documentaries, you know, mm -hmm. um, and <laughs> how I'm imagining is you have to, you have to sort of cradle the mm -hmm. data, take care of it, raise it to absolutely. be, I guess, what NAR is requiring it yeah, to be, absolutely. and then send it off into the world yeah. To, yeah. To, yeah. to, I guess... I guess, explore and yeah. be used. Yeah. Well, we, we value that data very much. We mm. have some of that data in the form of oral history where folks have actually interviewed folks from the old programs and they have a wealth of information and, and, and data that they share. And that data is not just used for the purposes of, of, of memorable content, but it's actually used to inform some of our programs moving forward. Yeah. And, you um, Talking about data, just the, the the landscape where we are now, mm -hmm. we're we're dealing with just an insane amount of data. <laughs> yeah, and you're you're talking multiple petabytes. Yeah, you're talking before yeah. just billions. Uh, it's billions it's, and billions of data. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. So let's I guess start from the beginning and mm -hmm. see how we got to this point. How did mm -hmm. we get so much data? What were we dealing with? What were some of the le legacy technology and information that we were dealing mm -hmm. with um, and mm -hmm. the start of the space pro mm -hmm. program? So, you know, it's, it's really interesting because I'm, I'm going to kind of date myself here. So I started <laughs> back in, in the shuttle day and I can remember working over in building 30 and 
pretty much like, and I wasn't, I'm, I wasn't this far dated back, but when you go to the bank and you have the pneumatic tubes that they send your money through, yeah. um, through the teller, you know, that actually started as, as, as far back as that, you know, in terms of how you transmitted the data. Now we transmit the data over network lines. We transmit the data via station coming down link to the mission control. We transmit the data in various forms. We receive the data in various forms. We analyze the data and then we store the data in various forms. And so that dates all the way back to the beginning of the shuttle program, all the way back to the beginning of the Apollo era, all the way back to when we were looking at data and deciphering that data and deciding how we needed to store that data, what we needed with that data, and what data was important and what data wasn't. I think back then um, everything was data. We kept everything. We huh. stored everything. Um, when programs expire, they're supposed to actually bring those da that data current and put that data in a format in a form that can go to NARA. We have boxes and boxes of data over, <laughs> and our archivist is, is storing that data when a program ends. And so I've been across several of the centers, and I'm just astounded by the, the the data that they have that they're collecting and that they're storing. So um, that's something that we're known for. That's part of our legacy. Hmm. Um, and, and I think it's a great legacy that we have. Yeah. yeah. That's, um, well, the, the history is, the is, history is phenomenal. Is, it's phenomenal. It is, yeah. So when you're talking about different kinds of data, mm -hmm. going back to those those tube days, the mm -hmm. pneumatic tubes, you're mm -hmm. not talking about information that's stored electronically. You're talking that's about right. physical copies of data that that's have to be absolutely physically right. filed away. That's absolutely right. I'll yeah. tell you, that that's true even in our medical profession. Hmm. Think about when you used to go to that. I'm, again, I'm going to age myself. When, you, <laughs> you know, I'd go to the dentist's office and they'd roll out the file cabinets you know that they'd have the tall file cabinets and they literally would have a rotary and they would roll it out right. and that's how they stored data that data now because there are government requirements now to go to an electronic format for that data and so we've moved into that age we weren't always there we've moved into that age but think about the cycles of, of individuals that it takes the cycles of time the cycles of transferring across the age of technology to convert that data into a format that is now usable in this current age so we've gone through quite a transition with the data now there was there was a lot of data in, in our history too and, and mm -hmm. you know file cabinets mm -hmm. right you're, you're rolling mm -hmm. stuff out but mm -hmm. not only that even the technology that was digital that's right took up a lot of space took up a lot of space it <laughs> did you know i can remember in in my early days of programming we had the big round discs that had all of the data for your program files that you would store um, it's it's quite different, and now you have what a little um, disc that you pop in. You have a little um, thumb drive that you pop in. Yeah. But that is, it actually has tons of data on it as well. But that's just because of how technology has progressed has now. Pro absolutely. What used to take an entire room, mm -hmm. maybe even a mm -hmm. floor, we, we can go <laughs> yes. there, to store the amount of data that you can now store in a thumb yes, drive. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. You now, bet. Now I'm thinking about mission control. This mm -hmm. is always one of my, uh, one of my just, uh, I'm blown away by mm -hmm. this statistic. Is the comparison comparison of the data that mission control was dealing with mm -hmm. versus what a current smartphone can deal with? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> is it true a smartphone can actually compute more? That's absolutely true. Back in the Apollo era, that is absolutely true. You wow. bet. Because yeah. you were dealing now, with kilobytes of data. Right? You bet. You bet. Unbelievable. Yeah, that is. How how did that how did how can you fly a rocket? How can you mm -hmm. communicate and and deal with with space systems mm -hmm. with such little data? If, if <laughs> I mean, why can I not fly a rocket with my phone right now? <laughs> well, technology has advanced over time. What we have done with that technology has also changed over time. And I think our, our goals and our objectives and where we were trying to get, that's changed over time. And mm -hmm. so with that, all of the things that are associated with it, not just the technology, but um, the smarts that it takes to do that, that's changed over time, how we test has changed, how we prepare for flight readiness has changed. And so all of that with that, that advancement of technology has been very necessary. Um, I always tell people NASA hire smart people, and, and they absolutely do. I, I look back in the John Glenn day, and I looked at what those guys were doing and what they were computing 
in their heads what they were computing with pen and paper and how we do it very differently now. But it's still the same. Math <laughs> is math. Yeah. That's true. We, had, we just have a lot more, I guess, computer help. We have to, a lot more computer help. We absolutely yeah. do. Yeah. So the processes of, of, of just working in Mission Control, working here, mm-hmm. and, and dealing with data. Now mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're talking about converting from a time of you're, you're doing math mm-hmm. with hand with and hand. a pen mm-hmm. on, your, on your desk mm-hmm. and just dealing with all the computer. How, how have you seen the workplace shift over time or know about the yeah. shift over time between just yeah. dealing with more and right. more data? So it's shift everywhere from the, the physical construct of the work environment to what's necessary, the tools that are necessary for you to do your job, to the whole thought process behind how you do your job. That has shift. Um, if, you, if you look back into even how we were simulated in our work environment, how we worked closely together in, in big rooms of where information was being shared. You share information. I share information across the, the continent to other folks. I share information across to other centers that are on opposite ends of the the spectrum from me. So you share information and you look at how you do that and how we had to do it once in a really composite setting with everyone in the same place at the same time. But now technology affords us and allows us to share that information across the globe. I mean that that's phenomenal to me. You know, I think that's how we learn, and that's what we've learned so well. I mean, it, it is. I consider it a, a fortunate thing mm-hmm. that we can access mm-hmm. so much information mm-hmm. so readily. But at mm-hmm. the same time, sometimes I just want to shut off my phone. I know, and I just know. ignore. Things, I know. Yeah. It, we are very connected. Almost yes. too connected. Well, you know that. So that's interesting that you say that because the, the conundrum associated with that is. You're concerned then, what about the security of that data that I'm sharing? That becomes a huge concern. And and certainly in my environment, in the CIO environment, in the IT world, you hear it every day. You hear about breaches and compromises. So we used to be concerned about the device and making sure that the device is secure. What you're really concerned about, and it's the conversation we're having right now, is the data that's on that device. Mm. You want to make sure that that data is secure. So that's huge. Yeah, because the the kinds of data we with and we sh- and we should probably clarify this is there's so much data mm-hmm. but it's it's pretty diverse too mm-hmm. you know we're it dealing is. with just regular uh, math equations mm-hmm. like we were saying before but then also there's there's sensitive aspects yes, to it you there's betcha. there's stuff that yeah. is preliminary that can be it, there, there's certain sensitivities that you have to absolutely. protect absolutely you have scientific data you have the hin- engineering data you have health data you mm-hmm. have PII data, very sensitive data at very different levels of that data. You have data that's associated with flight equipment and flight hardware. You have software. And so, yes, it has to be protected, and it has to be protected at different levels. Now, we as a federal agency, Mm -hmm. I'm sure, have much more restrictions on on these kinds Absolutely. of things. So what's the environment on what we do to protect this data? Absolutely. So we have requirements that all federal agencies are accountable to through OMB, through NIST, cybersecurity related requirements that require us to secure the data, to protect the data. Mm-hmm. Now, it's interesting because as a federal agency, one of the things that NASA has to do is to share that data. That is publicly available data. Mm-hmm. And so we share that data. We have a Space Act agreement that talks about the sharing of that data with the public. But we also have a requirement and a responsibility to protect that data. Mm-hmm. And so with that comes a lot of requirements. Um, currently, I will tell you, at the agency level, through the Office of the CIO, Department of Homeland security and it's not just for NASA it's for all federal agencies they're providing tools and capabilities that enable us to store that data to secure that data and to ensure the security and the protection of that data and what's what's I guess unique about this and that you kind of alluded to this before was you're you're protecting the data that you have because it's your data Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. but in order to operate because we are we're not just NASA. Mm-hmm. We are partnered with Absolutely. international, you know, we're partnered with nations across the globe. Yes. And you're right, we you have bet. to share this information. Absolutely. So how do you ensure that we can share what we need to share, but that we're going to stay mm-hmm. protected mm-hmm. and we're not going to have some sort of incident mm-hmm. where people are going to be exposed? So they have the same requirements levied on them. And I can assure you, oh. they have the same requ- concerns that we have in mm-hmm. ter- ensuring that they share the right information, that they share the right data, and that they protect the 
the data that they share. And so through our IT security program here at the Johnson Space Center, we're accountable to the OCIO, the Office of the CIO at the agency level. We're accountable to external entities such as Department of Homeland Security, um, Office of Management and Budget. There are requirements that are levied on us for our cybersecurity program. And at the center here, through my office, we have a cybersecurity office. It's actually our IT security office within each organization here at the Johnson Space Center. You have representatives within those directorates that are responsible for the security of the systems and the data within their organization. And so that, that accountability goes across the board. So cybersecurity is a responsibility of everyone. Mm -hmm. and that's everyone's responsibility in your work environment as well as in your home environment. You're right, because ultimately it's, it's your data, and you might not be a person who's a technical person mm -hmm. to deal with it, but ultimately it's your data that you're responsible for, so you have to make sure that it's protected. And you're constantly Absolutely. thinking about, am I protected? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So you, yes. you're talking about requirements, and mm -hmm. you're talking about um, f from the federal level, these these restrictions being mm -hmm. imposed. What are some of the things that we are required to do? What are mm -hmm. some of like? Give me an example mm -hmm. of a requirement right. that maybe maybe is more difficult to do business, but is essential to make sure that we are protected. So every system that we have here at the Johnson Space Center has to be under a security plan. Hmm. And it has to have the authority to operate. So as the center CIO and as the authorizing official for some of those systems, I have to say that that system has the authority to operate. Well, that system has to meet certain requirements. Um, it has to make sure that it has patching. Hmm. There's scanning and vulnerability testing that's done on those systems. And if any of that is not successful, there has to be a plan of actions and milestones and a mitigation plan and strategy to make sure that those systems are healthy or those sh systems should not be connected to our network. That's a requirement for every system on this center. And so when I sign my name to that system as the authorizing official, I'm saying that that system is healthy. It does not put the center at risk. It does not put us in a, in a situation of a possible vulnerability occurring with that system and I'm signing off on that as are the other authorizing officials for systems here at the center. That's a requirement not just for NASA but for other federal agencies for their systems. Um, the, the PIV implementation that we're doing right now, that's securing access to your devices, to your computer and making sure that where you're going on the network you have authority and you have the right to access those systems and that data on those systems. So that's the, that's the badges that we carry That's around that identify mm -hmm. us but then also say I am yeah. Gary and Absolutely. I can access this computer based on the available access that's on this chip you bet okay yeah. and so so basically you're saying that all of these all of these systems are carefully watched mm -hmm. and if some and they are scanned and yes. if something is revealed to say there is a vulnerability mm -hmm. there's a chance that something bad could happen you make a plan of action to go fix it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. We, we don't want things connected to our network that could put us at risk. We have critical mission data. We have sensitive um, human health and performance data. We don't want anything on our systems, in our data, that could put us at risk or that could mm -hmm. put our crew at risk or the vehicle at risk. Mm -hmm. Do you see a lot of instances of folks trying to hack us trying to try to get into our systems <laughs> and um just you realize because you understand probably the scope more than mm -hmm. any of us mm -hmm. you know we're sitting pretty we're mm -hmm. on our email we're doing our mm -hmm. thing but you're saying mm -hmm. maybe there's a side to this where we are being attacked and maybe we just don't know it mm -hmm. but our security is good enough yeah. where we don't know it yeah. I, th I think you should always assume that your best posture is to be a posture where you're secured and you're protected I think everyone should always assume that. I assume that at home with my home computer you know, oh, I, yeah. d I don't click on links. I don't download things that are not credible. Um, I assume that on my home system, I assume that on my work systems, um, we all should at all times. I mean, I'm not sure about you, but I've, I've gotten 
a letter or two from OPM about my data being compromised mm. because of a store that I've shopped at and my credit card number got out, yeah. as did other folks. Um, I've been in that situation before. Um, yeah. I just recently sent um, one of my siblings a text message. I said, hey, I know you were shopping here last month. I just saw in the news where they had a, a breach. I said, you probably want to write them and you probably want to contact your bank. I think we should always all assume that I'm going to be safe and I'm going to make sure that my systems and my data is secure. Yeah, you have to be, it's, it's kind of, you have to be constantly vigilant. Yes, you, have you do. You to be constantly aware. Yes. Which yes. is kind of a burden, but also necessary. It's necessary, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Now, talking about, we were, we were talking about requirements before, mm -hmm. and there's obviously security requirements mm -hmm. to make sure we're safe, but going back, we were talking a little bit about NAR and requirements mm -hmm. for storing data. Mm -hmm. What do we have to do to make sure that we are archiving all these great things that we're doing properly so yes. that it could be stored properly? Yes. Like, like mission videos, like... Like, like when we do cool things in mm -hmm. space and have video of it, mm -hmm. I want to make sure that that's kept. Yeah. So we have a records manager. Mm. Um, we have each organization has someone within their directorate who is responsible for making sure that we're following the guidelines of NAR. That actually should start at the very beginning of a program. At the very beginning of a program, and it's the same way you do security. You don't <laughs> do security at the end of the system. You do security at the very beginning from cradle to grave. And it's the same way with records retention. When you start kicking off a program, you should then start actually recording your records and keeping your records and keeping them according to the requirements for NARA. And so when that program ends, you've got all your records according to how you're supposed to ca capture your records, record your records, save your records, file your records. You've got all of that in order. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's critically important. As I said, a lot of that data is used on newer programs from previous programs. I had a visit out to Wallops, actually to, um, I'm sorry, White Sands a couple of months ago. And years ago, at the very beginning of my career, I worked on small ICBM missiles and I worked on Peacekeeper and Minuteman. Hmm. And to my surprise, I walked in and there was a, the missile head from Peacekeeper that I worked on years ago, early in my career. And we're using information from that to help inform us as we move forward with our new programs, such as Orion. And I, I was just like, wow, that was at the beginning of my career. I can't believe I'm Blast seeing this, past. you know. But that shows the criticality of the importance of, of maintaining good records and keeping those records from the beginning of a program to the end of that program and making sure that that data and that information then can be passed on for future programs. Yes, because it's, it's learning. It's, it's learning. learning. From, Absolutely. In order to make things better, you need to know how they were first. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. so we have these requirements to, to, to document things a certain way. Mm -hmm. Were these... Oh, have we captured everything successful or are there things that we're just uh, we're just not going to get? I, I think what we've done is we've learned along the way. Hmm. I, I think we've learned and we've gotten smarter with how we have captured records, how we have retained those records, how we have stored those records. And I think that program has improved over the years. I've seen it just in the span of time that I've been working in the in the office of the CIO. Um, I've seen where we've gotten really smart. We've partnered with other organizations. We've partnered with other federal agencies. Um, NARA is, is very helpful and, and very good at helping federal agencies ensure because that is the legacy, not just of a federal agency, not yeah. just of a program. That's the legacy of our country. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, they, they want to make sure they that want it's to not make sure lost. It. So you they will help do. us yeah. along the they way help to make us, sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so we're, yeah, make sure that we capture all this great history yeah. that we're doing. Yeah. Now, I think one of the biggest challenges is, is it's got to be technology mm -hmm. because what used to be maybe little data point, data points with kilobytes of information, mm -hmm. now we're getting video, now we're going to HD video. Yeah. There's not yeah. only a different kind of data that we're dealing yeah. with, but it's larger. It's larger. And we got to figure out where yeah. to put it because yeah. that's a lot of data. Yeah. Larger, very sophisticated. Yeah. Um, different ways to manipulate the data, mm. different ways to manage the data and maintain the data. And so we have to progress with the progression of the technology. We have to get smarter with the technology and we have to really learn how to use it and leverage it to the best advantage that we can and to ensure that it provides the capability that we need. 
So it sounds like one of the biggest challenges is going to be balance. Mm -hmm. Balance on the requirements that you have mm -hmm. for certain technologies, but right. then also making sure that you're keeping up with the technology you itself. Bet. So Absolutely. maybe technology, and, and people talk about this all the time, mm -hmm. is progressing so fast. Yeah. Not a lot of people can keep <laughs> up with it. So how do you yeah. write procedures and rules to make sure that that we can keep up with it, at least to the best of our knowledge and yeah. capability. So so one of the things that I think is hugely important is that we are staying out there ahead of the technology, or at least in sync with the technology. So one of the things that we like to ensure that the folks on our team are doing, that they're exposed to this growth in technology, that they're, they're partnering with other organizations outside of federal government, outside of NASA, because folks outside of federal government, are they're, they're taking the, the, the risk that we sometimes don't take because we just don't have the opportunity to take that risk. Mm -hmm. Our schedules, our projects, our timelines of the fact that we're doing dealing with humans in space, it maybe allows us to not take some of the risks that other folks take in, in terms of progressing technology. But in partnering with those folks, benchmarking with those folks, we're learning where the technology is going. I was just at a CIO face-to-face -face last week, and, and we're talking about what are we going to look like three to five to ten years from now. We're not talking about what are we going to look like a year from now. We're talking about what is it going to look like three to five to ten years from now. We have to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the, the difficulty is is you can, looking ahead, try, mm -hmm. try to think three, five, ten, mm -hmm. but then there's so many technologies that maybe yeah. we don't even know we are know. on the horizon yeah. <laughs> that you have to plan yeah. for. That's going to yeah. be difficult. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know there's there's just a lot of challenges with with dealing with this data, and we were talking about we're talking about uh, uh, HD video, mm -hmm. and and now I know recently we were doing 4K downlinks. We're we're now we're dealing with 4K. Okay. Yeah. So one of the biggest things I'm thinking of is storage. Mm -hmm. Do we store mm -hmm. a lot of things here on the center? We do. We have a data center here, and it, and it's interesting. I, I I love that you just asked me that because <laughs> we just entered a, a wonderful partnership that I'm very proud of with Station, where we moved over to a new storage content platform for them for all of the the imagery that we get, the still, the video, everything that we get that's downlinked from station. This is data that we're getting every day. So just imagine just the flood of data that's coming in every day. And we actually entered a partnership with them um, just last year on a content platform for their storage. And we presented a business case to them. And, it, and this was so exciting for us because it provided us an opportunity to not look at where they are just right now, hmm. but at the rate that we're getting data from station. And that rate is not going to slow down. We wanted to provide a storage platform for them that would allow them to look years out and continue to build on that and not have to be concerned about, I'm going to run out of storage space. And so we sat with them and we worked with them to understand what their requirements would be, not just for today, but where they saw themselves five, 10 years from now and built this platform for them out in our data center. Center. And we're very proud of that. It was a great partnership that we had with them, and we're going to continue to build on that. It's uh, very exciting. Yeah, very exciting. Yeah. Now I think you know you're talking about planning, planning farther ahead, even yes. with these with these servers. So I'm sure you're thinking of this is going to meet our capabilities for storing now, mm -hmm. and then going back to the requirements of we have to keep our data for yes. a certain amount of time, and then fit it for NAR requirements, exactly. I'm sure that's part of the plan yes, too. Yes, and, and part of what we look at when we look at that as well, particularly in the subject of storage, is we look at, so when do we move or what do we move into the cloud environment? Because that allows us more elasticity in terms of storage capability for our data. You know, there's that security element around that as well. Who yes. owns your data? Right. You know, how, what, what are the requirements for your data being in the cloud? What's the cost? of being in the cloud. So those are all the, the things that you have to consider. And that's certainly part of the conversation when we look at what our options are for storage. And not just storage, but how we can securely store our data and affordably store our data. It's a big balance, right? Secure, but affordability, mm -hmm. because you can keep it here, but then you have to buy these servers. Now you have to have this machinery, this hardware that's going to keep everything that can get up the cost. You're, it's it's yours and you're secure mm -hmm. because it's not, you know, it's your data. Mm -hmm. So you got that, but then at the same time, 
technology is maybe going towards the yeah. cloud and how do yeah. we fit things into yeah. the cloud but make it still ours. Yeah. I can see where there's a lot of uh, back and forth yeah. there. I, I, I love where this conversation is going because we were just talking earlier about requirements that are imposed on us at a federal level. We're a federal agency. Yeah. And, and one of the things that we had a requirement for, not just us, NASA, but federal agencies, was to reduce our footprint for our data center reduce our physical footprint, the number of data centers that we have. And so that's when you look at technologies like going to cloud and how you can enable that. Wow. So, okay, so it's actually looking at requirements to limit what we have physically and to Absolutely. actually opt into using cloud technology. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty significant. Yeah, that is. But that now is. And you have a yeah. whole bunch of more challenges of security and ownership and Absolutely. stuff like that that you have to deal with down the road. Absolutely, yes. A lot of challenges going on. A lot of challenges. <laughs> but, but, you know, I will tell you, I really see those challenges as opportunities. Hmm. And, and that's what I tell my team. Those challenges are really opportunities for us to, to move forward, you know. <laughs> I, I want to be in control of my destiny. Yeah. You know? I, I don't want someone to be in control of that for me. I want to be in control of that. I, I want to be at the table when we're talking about where this agency is going to be three, five, ten years from now, what our future looks like. That's hugely exciting. It is very exciting. Mm -hmm. Now, th now thinking towards the future and making sure we can, we can get there, I'm Actually, I'm going to re-divert this to the past. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about, you know, we have we have data centers that have this digital technology stored mm -hmm. in these servers, so so we can we can house our own data here. But we have different types of data. We mm -hmm. have we have tapes mm -hmm. from the Apollo mm -hmm. days and from and from shuttle days mm -hmm. that we need to convert. Mm -hmm. What's that process look like? Well, how how mm -hmm. are we doing that? How are we taking this older technology and Converting yeah. it. I would love to take you on a tour out to what <laughs> we call our farm because okay. we literally have um, the reel-to-reel -reel tapes that I can remember as a kid. You probably can't, but I can. <laughs> you know, the reel-to-reel -reel tapes. Mm -hmm. And we are actually converting that to digital format. And, and so that's happening right here on site. That's happening at other centers because other centers have that same challenge. When you think back to that era where all you had were the reel-to-reel -reel tapes, that's all you had. Mm -hmm. So now you've got to convert that because some of that tape also is, is going through what they call the vinegar syndrome where it's mm. deteriorating. So that's right. history. That's information. You'll never recapture that if you lose that. So you want to convert those things to the appropriate format. And of course, that's that's not something that NARA would accept. If you've got film that's going through the vinegar syndrome, that would not be a good storage solution for NARA um, with all of the responsibilities that they have for maintaining the legacy for our nation. So um, we, are, we have moved to technology that is allowing us to convert it. Now, here's the challenge, as you said, plethora and plethora of oh, data. So, much. so the time that it takes to do that conversion trying to do that quickly enough where that, where that data is still good and you can get it converted to that new format. You're right, because yeah. you're talking about, I mean, like shuttle missions, for example, exactly. that lasted for weeks, and you just have a continuous stream of weeks Absolutely. of data that you have to Absolutely. convert. But it's, uh, I like how you're saying that it's um, not only is it a requirement that we mm -hmm. have to have it digital in order to store mm -hmm. it with NAR, mm -hmm. Now you're talking about just saving the film the itself. The film itself. The film Absolutely. itself is going to disappear if we don't do something. Absolutely. So we have to do something to Absolutely. save that data. Absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm so um, proud that the, the folks in my organization understand the, the importance of that, mm -hmm. um, the importance of that, the history that that has, the legacy that that has, and, and that they're committed to that. And I, when I visit the other centers, I, I see that same commitment to that, you know. And, it, and it's great. Yeah. It's it's a lot of hard work because yeah. it's it's it is. it's very monotonous labor. Right? <laughs> you you have to all right put in another film reel. Here we go. I mm -hmm. mean, there's there's a lot to it, but it's it's vital to save that stuff. And I gotta tell you, I'm I'm gonna I want you to hold me to this. I'm gonna take you on a tour out to our to our forum where the guys are doing that. They all understand right. that when they pick up that reel of film, that's history that they have in their hand. Yeah. I I can recall getting a a call from the guys out there, and they had found a reel reel of film that showed the, the original construction of Johnson Space Center. Wow. And, it, and, and they were so excited. They were like, you won't believe what we came across. You won't <laughs> believe what we found. You know what I mean? They, had, they take great pride in doing that. And, yeah. and that, that's so cool, I think. 
to be, I mean, to be the first person to hold Tell that yeah. film reel in yeah. decades, that's yeah. got to feel very special. Yeah. And to say, I'm going to save this. Yeah. I'm going to be exactly. the person that's going to save this. Exactly. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. It's on record, though, so I'm going to yeah. hold you to it. Yeah. <laughs> the tour. <laughs> you bet. You bet. Um, so, so this is probably a very important question to follow up on mm -hmm. is, is we're saving all this data. It's history we're putting mm -hmm. into the archives. What, what are some of the ways that we can use that data? Why would we save mm -hmm. all of it versus just, ah, this is important, we mm -hmm. don't need it, we don't mm -hmm. need to save it, it's just mm -hmm. going to take up space. Mm -hmm. How do you decide what's important, what's not, and why to save yeah. it? So there are certain requirements for what you have to save. NARA hmm. has some requirements on that in terms of the kinds of things you save. I'll, I'll give you an example. Even senior executives, things like their email records, that is considered a record. Aha. Think about that. Think about um, what's documented with our, with our presidents. You know, speeches that they that they've had, decisions that they've made. You know, law that has been enacted. Um, there is a reason we say that it tells a story. It is our legacy. It says who we are. It informs us. Mm -hmm. It's in our textbooks. It informs us. It helps us in terms of building our future. Those are things that are vitally important to us as individuals, vitally important to us as a nation, vitally important to us on this globe. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's 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 you recognize the importance. I think one of the things I'm, my mind is immediately going to is when whenever we've had. Um, whenever we've had some of the recent accidents, right? Absolutely. So like if you're talking about the Columbia accident, Absolutely. now you have this data where you Absolutely. can go back, look at every excruciating detail Absolutely. because you have it, because you yes. saved it. Yes. And it's that's, it's crucial to find out what yes. went wrong, what yes. can we do to fix yes. it, what can we do to yes. prevent it from happening yes. in the future. You can even think in everyday terms of how we study weather data. You know, So, so I was impacted by Hurricane Harvey. Yeah. And, and when I think about the studies that go behind weather and the weather patterns and things that they watch for the weather, I'm very grateful for that because that alerts us. Mm -hmm. it, al it, it alarms us in a way that keeps us safe. But that's important for our survival. This data is as well. The yeah. survival of our crew. Exactly. Exactly. The more you know, the more mm -hmm. informed decision you can make Absolutely. to make the best decision. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm sorry to hear about mm -hmm. Harvey. We were talking a little yeah. bit before, and you are just, it's been crazy with all the traveling, and you can't, <laughs> can't even unload your boxes into the house. Oh, that's got to be brutal. Yeah. Um, you know, looking at, looking at uh, going back to imagery, mm -hmm. I think this is one component of, of your uh, division that I think is just absolutely yeah. fascinating. Yeah, it is. When you're talking about the beautiful images mm -hmm. we're getting from 250 miles about yeah. the space station but then all of the, all of the rest what do we what what's the story there what's the what's the story of the whole imagery component of, yeah. of the division so so we have imagery online we have as i said we're getting around the clock and i don't think people realize this but over in building eight we're getting around the clock down link from station Whoa. if it's still if it's video it's imagery it's it's photo shots we get imagery from test data and when engineering director does test data we get photos from that I mean we get this data around the clock that's cool. it tells a story yeah it absolutely does that data is used for tests it's used for engineering analysis it's used for data analysis it's used for capturing and telling the story for when the crew is on board and what's happening throughout their duration of their crew time it's used for all of those things and and we keep that data that imagery is stored um, it's it's very important for us mm -hmm. it's very important for the crew when they come back and they've got that data from their flight they can use that data to do analysis to do some forward work that's hugely important it's hugely important for folks in the engineering directorate as they're making decisions about test data and what they need to tweak what works what doesn't work hugely important yeah now that's I, I, that's actually I think one of the coolest parts about the imagery mm -hmm. uh, de uh, department is um, you have these still photographers, and mm -hmm. not only are they taking artistic photographs, and the ones mm -hmm. you see online, the, mm -hmm. the, the films you see of rockets going up, but it's, it's not, the purpose isn't to, because it's pretty. No. Like, the, the purpose is, like, they're taking close-up pictures of hardware. That's they're right. taking photos of even the crew That's is right. grabbing a cram camera on board and That's taking right. photos of 
things that don't really mm -hmm. look too great, but yeah. it is vital for engineering purposes. Because yeah. it, yeah. it, it, like you said, I, I love that phrasing. Is, is it tells a story? Mm -hmm. All right, what's going on here? What's yeah. what's the layout? How can we fix it? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of it, it's important, and not only to store, but mm -hmm. to to keep track of to organize mm -hmm. that must be a pain to organize yeah. all those images <laughs> yeah <laughs> that, that well i think the folks who do that i've, I've walked through our, our our area where we have all of our imagery and, and the folks who are doing that they love that oh, really? i mean it, it's like you get to experience having been on station and you were not really there you get to experience it as they go through all of these photos as they go through this still imagery as they go through the video they get to be a part of that experience yeah, they're they're part of the story because yeah. they're they're living through it and they're they have to organize it in their mm -hmm. head and and come up like like yeah. you said with a story. And I think the you hinted at this before where they're putting it is it's called imagery online, mm -hmm. right? That's yes, the repository. Mm -hmm. That's where it everything's is. going. Mm -hmm. And it's just I, I use it all the time. Yeah. But it's uh it's a place where you can search in the images you yeah. need. Yeah. Um so I'm I'm you know, me being in PAO, mm -hmm. I search the ones that are prettier <laughs> that we can put on the web and share with people. Well, you know, you guys have a pretty cool, cool role. So yeah. I was at the the last Soyuz launch, and you know that we have folks who travel there from PAO who are taking the pictures, mm. and, and 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 they're taking the pictures of the launch. Absolutely, they're taking the pictures of the crew coming out, and they're in their gear, and they're getting ready to get on the bus to go over to the launch pad. Absolutely taking pictures of that. But you know what they're also taking pictures of? I watched one of our astronauts interact with the children of one of our crewmen who is going up, and you, you capture that, that's nothing like that. <laughs> you know, the, the time that he took with these kids, their their father was getting ready to go up, you know, the time yeah. that he took with them, and, and, and there was someone capturing all of this, you know. That's, do you know what that will mean to them years from now when they look back at that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I've, I've talked with quite a few folks on the podcast, and sometimes it, it just comes down to a single moment. Mm -hmm. It comes down to, you know, I, I had one guest write a letter to mm -hmm. NASA, just say, hey, I'm trying to be an astronaut. What should mm -hmm. I do? Yeah. And they wrote back, and they sent yeah. something back to her, and yeah. she's like, yes, yeah. I am so motivated. Yeah. And she dedicated her yeah. entire school career and career yeah. after that to yeah. eventually getting to the yeah. center. There, there's nothing that compares to the experience of the human element, one mm -hmm. person to nothing that compares to that. And the fact that we can capture that through photos, through imagery, through video, that we capture it in so many ways, that we capture that in, in the records that we keep and that we pass on from one program to another that informs the next program and the next mission. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how much of it do we do we keep for these informational purposes mm -hmm. that we, that we keep for the engineering purposes for for learning and making our systems better and mm -hmm. assessing and mm -hmm. stuff like that mm -hmm. and but and then how much are we looking at historical photos mm -hmm. and maybe current photos and then sharing them out what are we doing to 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 share with mm -hmm. the public mm -hmm. so our imagery online, um, anyone within the NASA community can get through that. Mm -hmm. We also have an agreement with U of H Clear Lake. So we have some imagery and some things through U of H Clear Lake. Mm -hmm. So they actually have some records as well on files. So NASA, if you look in our Space Act agreement, you know, we're, we're a public entity. We're not an entity unto ourselves. So we exist for the purpose of, of you know, furthering human in exploration, in space, and in all of those avenues. And so the data that we have is not just unto ourselves. Certainly there is a proprietary piece of that data that is used for research, that's used for human exploration, that's used for the furtherment of other missions and other programs. But there's also a portion of that data that we are obligated to make available to the public. Um, there is a portion of that data for historical purposes that we're obligated through NARA to make available as well. And so that data is, is not just something that we parse out amongst the NASA community, but that data is shared across all kinds of venues for various reasons, research and development, engineering, scientific and data analysis for the general public. Um, you know, and, and that's absolutely obvious when you look at our education program and how we make information available through our education program. Mm -hmm. That's interesting that, it, that we're, they're obligated, mm -hmm. that we, 
we we have a requirement to mm-hmm. share this stuff. Do you yeah. know how far go how far back we have to go until it says anything past this date? That's the stuff. We're go so with. so for your program, when you start your program up, NAR has what they call a retention schedule. So mm-hmm. that retention schedule says this data, this kind of data, you have to save, you have to archive it for this period of time, and after that period of time, you're not obligated. Such so out in building 412. We have data that we're obligated to hold on site, physically on site, until its retention date has passed. And we have what we're, what's called retention schedules. Mm-hmm. Once it hits its retention schedule, then we can send it to NARA. But it has a requirement that you hold that. And that's for, for a reason. So when we send something to NARA, once we send it to NARA, we have to then retrieve it. So if you have to retrieve that data because you want to study that for another program that's coming up. Mm-hmm. So it costs us to store the data with NARA. And it also costs us to retrieve that data. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we, we want to retain that data and hold on to it for, until we can get as much as we can out of the life of that data. Yeah. And then we will pass that data on according to the retention schedules. So there are requirements on the data, and it has retention schedules that NARA establishes for the data. So it's like it's retain, we, we are required to retain it here. And that, and that makes sense mm-hmm. because it's fresh data. We want to mm-hmm. use it. We want to have ready access to it. We want to limit the cost to it. We want to protect it. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. And then it comes to a certain point where you have to retain it for, like you said, this amount of time. Right. And then you go over to NAR. And then mm-hmm. I guess at, when it goes to NAR, that's public record, and right? Right. And so what you also have what are, what are called permanent records. Permanent. There, are, there are things that are permanent records. So that's in that movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark, when he goes, <laughs> you know, those are, that's permanent records. Those records will never be destroyed. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Now, I can't even imagine the amount of data <laughs> you know, to be permanent. So, I, so on one of my next trips to D.C., I'm going to the National Archives because I want to see for myself. <laughs> I'm, I've actually had friends who have gone to the National Archives and researched generations and generations back in their family. Wow. Yeah. Oh, because they can't archive all of that yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I can't even imagine. Yeah. That's, so, that's like a never-ending construction yeah. project to yeah. build more and more as more data comes in. And yet we're required to keep more data. And yeah. Data becomes larger. I'm thinking yes, it does. my immediate thought is right to 4K video. Oh my gosh, dealing with that is such a pain. Yeah. It takes forever to downlink from the station and yeah. then it takes forever to work with. <laughs> I mean, I have a tiny computer, but man, that's a lot. I think um, so. So, what's what's nice about having you here, Annette, is, is you oversee all of this, right? So, you oversee the imagery, you oversee mm-hmm. the storage. You oversee, mm-hmm. So, there's so much to IRD, mm-hmm. your, your directorate, mm-hmm. that it's it's just unbelievable. And then on top of that, yeah. you're CIO, you got a, a large responsibility. I think one of the one of the biggest things, and it's, it's selfish for me as an employee here, mm-hmm. but you're you're looking at uh, working with ASUS, right? Mm-hmm. And and, mm-hmm. and end user. So so mm-hmm. my computer. Mm-hmm. Not only are you looking at the imagery from the station, mm-hmm. but you're, you're looking after <laughs> my computer. Uh-huh. So so what what? How does that work? How do we manage the information technology that we have at our desks? So. I'm responsible for that, as you said, and I'm responsible for that through two contract vehicles. So we have the enterprise contract vehicle, which is through ACES, Mm -hmm. NICS, East and West. So we have the enterprise model. Mm -hmm. And then I have local contract that provides some additional IT support to the center. And so that's managed through two different offices within IRD. Mm -hmm. Um, The IC office has the ACES contract under them, and then the IB office, which is my information management, and then my multimedia office. I think you probably know Ed and his team. Mm -hmm. So they manage those two separate contracts, and I'm responsible for that for the center. And I take that very personally. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when someone says, well, my computer is, I'm having issues with my computer and this and that. <laughs> I, I take that very personally you know yeah. um i'm responsible for that and that means a lot to me you know i I've, i call folks so how how's your computer did we fix it is everything okay Get, follow back with me and let me know if you're not satisfied with so i'm responsible for that as the cio mm-hmm. and as the director of ird it's it's kind of like a dr jekyll mr high thing so <laughs> as a director of ird that's the provider of your IT services here at the center. As a CIO, that's almost like the policing and enforcing. That's the policy piece, the oversight. And mm-hmm. and you see how the two can <laughs> might, might sometime um, conflict. Yeah, yeah. But um, 
I take both of those roles very seriously. Um, the customer experience is, is paramount for me. Um, that's that's critical. So it's a lot to oversee. Mm-hmm. How do you do it? What's your what's your background, by the um, way? So um, my undergrad is in double E electrical engineering. Okay. Uh huh. And then so here's a twist. <laughs> my my master's is in elementary ed. Whoa. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, interesting story. So as a freshman, um, my, my mom and I were just, she, she was my best friend going through school. And, mm-hmm. and when I got ready to graduate, she told me, she said, you're going to major in electrical engineering. I'm like, why? She said, because you'll do well in that and, and you'll make good money and, you, and you'll just do well in that. <laughs> um, unfortunately, my mom passed of breast cancer my freshman semester that I was in college. Oh, wow. That was such a hard blow for me. That, that was really hard. Um, I almost did not make it through school, I'll tell you that. Yeah, um, but um, it, it taught me a lot. It taught me a lot about perseverance. It taught me a lot about what's important. It taught me a lot about people. So the way I do this job is that I trust the people who do the job. And I tell the folks in my organization, I work for you. My job is to ensure that you have everything that you need to be successful. If you don't, then I have not done my job. And so I, I very much see myself as a servant leader. I'm um, service-oriented in making sure that the people at this center have everything that they need to do the mission and make sure that the mission is successful. So. That's it. And that you, you, do it, you don't do it all. You empower others I, to do it all. And absolutely. And maintain that accountability and trust within the organization. Absolutely. Huge yeah. part of being a leader. Yeah. I tell them, you guys are the smart people in the room. Not me. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm smart I'm, enough to know that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm smart enough to let you be smart. Absolutely. There you go. All right. Well, Annette, yeah. that is uh, such a nice overview of IRD. I feel like there's more that we can go into, mm-hmm. but it's just hearing your passion for what you do and what you mm-hmm. oversee. And, the, and not only that, but the people that you work with. Yeah. It's, it's, it's truly inspiring. So I appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate you asking me to do this. And, and you've got it on record. I'm going to ask Eloisa to get us down so I can get you out to the farm because I really want you to see this. It's pretty cool. That would be lovely. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, thanks for sticking around. So today we talked with Miss Annette Moore about the data and information that we're dealing with in space and then also here on the center at the NASA Johnson Space Center, some of the places that we store imagery, deal with imagery, protect imagery, and and data and information. It's actually incredible. Um, this is episode 45 of the podcast. We are in no particular order. It's just That's just how we keep track of everything. So you can go back and listen to other great podcasts on uh, uh, dealing with the space station and uh, especially here on the center. We actually talked a while back. I'm trying to remember which episode. I think it's episode 12. We talked with the center director, um, Ellen Ochoa, about just what we do here in Houston. And this is just a small part of what we do in Houston, and yet it's so broad and, and huge. It's actually incredible. So you can go listen to that one. I think it's called Leading Human Space Exploration. I believe it's episode 12. Uh, Otherwise, you can listen to some of our other NASA podcasts. We have Gravity Assist uh, hosted up at headquarters by Dr. Jim Green that talks about planetary science. And then we have our friends over in Ames Research Center for their podcast, NASA in Silicon Valley. They talk about the stuff that they're doing over there in California and helping us out with some of the research aboard the International Space Station. Uh, Otherwise, you can visit our social media sites, uh, both the NASA Johnson Space Center accounts and International Space Station accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Use the hashtag AskNASA on your favorite platform to submit an idea, and then we'll make sure to make it into an episode of Houston. We have a podcast. So this episode was recorded on April 18th, 2018. Thanks to Alex Perryman, Kelly Humphreys, Pat Ryan, Bill Stafford, and Eloisa Seidler. And thanks again to Miss Annette Moore for coming on the show. We'll be back next week.